Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd, and welcome to How to Live Podcast Uncut. The uncut you will recognize pretty quickly, and this is not the most technologically advanced material. I'm not in a studio, I'm in my office. And the, uh, the editing, let's just say, is not uh, professionally done. But I think the material and the importance of sharing this material is important, especially at a time that we are living through in this country, COVID-19 era. Today, I want to talk to you about the missings, especially that our children are experience, experiencing, and this is a spring that, and even summer, that many of our children will never forget. They, they may even look back upon this time, as we will, as a time when there was a significant change. Our, our needs don't change. Our feelings don't change. Our craving for relationship will never change, but how we go about living those things may be quite different in terms of, uh, well, in many ways. Um, I, I, today, uh, I want to talk about the, the continuation from our other, another podcast on facing, feeling, and dealing with life so that we can heal to keep courage in living life fully. I'm talking about not attitude so much as but processing the experience of living Attitude is how we see the glass half full or half empty in terms of uh, uh, optimist or pessimist, a person with a positive attitude or negative attitude. And that's not the point. The point is us dealing in reality that the fact is the glass is not full. And I believe that we are created to experience a full life in a place that doesn't allow us to have the very thing that we're created to experience. I'm saying that the main, the main experience of life that we, we have to be able to be able to deal with and still live fully, love deeply and lead well, lives worth honoring and, and keeping, that we have to be able to tolerate, experience and face loss. Loss is the most common experience we as human beings will experience in this life. <clears throat> And one of the things that our children, whether elementary school, middle school, high school, or college are experiencing now is loss. This is a spring of lost opportunity, missed opportunity, whether it's heartache or heart thrills, connections that we don't get to have, love's lost, love's gained, um, heartbreaks, and like I say, our, our heart's thrills, like I say, this is a, this is a spring of loss for our children as well as for ourselves. But I want us to, to, I want to spend some time talking about the valuing and uh, recognizing your children's losses, many of which they will never, ever know because they're not going to get to experience what they had dreamed would happen. But they'll experience the loss of never getting to, uh, let's just say, uh, getting to experience a love that is worth having because it's love, even if we lose it. And uh, I want to speak to uh, what we can do about living in a time of loss by first facing how life doesn't work. Many of us have been taught that there are four ways that, that we have to struggle with life and four 
uh, ways that we think we can somehow prevent life from happening in a certain way. And I'm not saying it doesn't influence life. I'm just saying it is not the whole truth of life. We're often taught that good things happen to good people. Well, that's true in many ways until something bad happens to somebody who is, is good. And then what leads us to questions about how come bad things happen to good people, which uh, leads us to the idea that, that life's unfair and that it's unjust. And I'm not saying it's not unfair because I think it is unfair and I think it is unjust, but it leaves us with a sort of a hope or hopelessness dynamic. Like uh, I was good and bad things happened or I may as well just be bad because it doesn't make any difference. And then we look about life and we see good things happening to bad people that we assess. And we, then we really do see life as extraordinarily unfair and wrong. And it makes us want to possibly give up or live in self-pity or stay in a constant state of pessimism. And then we do have that final, that fourth quadrant that says, oh, at least bad things happen to bad people, which means that we get the thrill of justice occurring to the, what we think of as the right people, which is pretty ugly, though understandable. So we, we're taught four things, that none of which are really true, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to bad people. Reality is, reality is that, that life happens to everyone, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The only true solution or the sort of hope in the midst of the configuration is a truer statement. And the truer statement is that, that good things happen to people who are known. And what I mean by known is not famous, as someone actually says, <laughs> they mentioned a famous person who said, well, so-and-so, this famous person's house burned down. I'm not talking about those things. I'm saying that good things happen to people who are known from the inside out. Because being known from the inside out allows us to be connected as we are created. Me using my brain to speak what's happening in my heart, making myself known to another who can join me in it. As Aristotle said, that a friend doubles our joys and halves our burdens. In other words, when we share life together, we're in communion. A rope of three strands is stronger than a rope of one. Pity the person who falls into a ditch without a hand to help him out or her out. So that that idea of being known from the inside out, if our feelings are known, our needs are known, our desire is known, our longings are known, our hope is known, then we're available for relationship. And because we are created for connection, the full life occurs through being connected relationally to ourselves, knowing how to use our brains to articulate our internal experiences, connection to others who are also able to live in relationship and connection to God, who is the owner, creator, and the defender and advocate uh, for us in this life. Even the word Emmanuel means uh, Jesus, but also it, it means God with us in the midst of a tragedy that is different than the one he originally planned, I believe. Anyway, Speaking of loss, and, and we really need to be patient with our children during this time and as their, their ups and downs and, and struggles and, and, and heartaches, because they really are missing a season of their lives. And I want to tell you a story about what they're missing. And also in this story of what they're missing is a solution about how to deal with the missings. 
In 2007, a local high school here uh, had a baseball team that was number two in the country. They went into the Super Regionals um, with, uh, if, they, if they won the game, this one game, it's one, one game, you win it or lose it. If you win it, you go on into the state playoffs. If you lose it, you go home. They were, going into this game, they were 41-1. and one. And as I say, USA Today, number one, a uh, number two in the nation, just a thrilling time. My son was getting to play on that team, my oldest son, and uh, was getting to start and play first base. And it was just a thrill. And they came into the Super Regional, and the score was um, two to one going into the seventh inning. Um, and uh, the, the local team was, was uh, losing. Uh, the bases uh, were, I think there was a guy on second and third, uh, two outs. A guy came up to the plate, real dependable hitter, great kid, love this kid. Well, love him. He's a man now, 2007. But anyway, he uh, struck out. And I remember that uh, the defeat was just excruciating for, for this team, uh, just great fall from great heights, even though it was just high school related. So the whole team went out to left field except for one kid, the kid that had struck out. And I watched the whole scene. I watched him alone. And I watched him put his hands on his head and walk all the way out to uh, center field, um, like looked like a POW. And I saw, as I was watching, his brother, who played on the, the state championship team in 2000, I remember he had on a, a tan uh, hunting coat and, and, and jeans, and I watched him crash through the gate, run uh, full speed out to left field, I mean, excuse me, center field, put his arms around his brother, and they just stood there and rocked back and forth. Uh, and the, 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 the wounded brother never even took his hands off his head as they just stood there and rocked, and no one went to help him. No one except his brother went to to call him into the fold, so to speak. Well, that team um, was a great team that suffered a great loss. And I think two of the players went on, were drafted in the pros. I think four players went to uh, uh, D1 schools. A couple of players went to uh, D2 schools, mid-major colleges. It, it, was, it was amazing. The team that was left was not expected to do much. In fact, um, the team that was left, I think there were like maybe three starters from the team the year before. My oldest son and a couple of his friends that had been playing together since they were literally seven years old. And uh, I, have, I have great memories of watching those little kids grow up playing baseball, scrapping, losing, playing. All those families were together. Some really great times. But the 2018 team, team was not expected to be much. I remember... Uh, my oldest son had a younger brother who was a freshman and didn't get to dress out uh, going to the same high school. And I remember that youngest son, he came home that night furious, uh, tearful, uh, just full of fury. And I remember him sitting down. Uh, we were in the den and he said he was just so mad. He said, I, he said, I needed to have dressed out. I could have helped that team. They needed to have let me play. And uh, just just thrashing around for some way to find some solace, some way to salvage his pain. 
And then he said, I'll do anything to get uh, his older brother. I'll do anything to get my older brother back to that game so he can get to finish what he didn't get to finish. And he was aware that these two boys had been growing up together. My two sons had grown up together uh, playing everything from sock baseball, wiffle ball, backyard baseball, listening to videos on games. And he knew that the oldest son just, just wanted to win wanted to go to the state championship, wanted to succeed at this uh, at this dream because they'd been dreaming about, one, getting to play together, and two, getting to have those extraordinary victories. And the younger brother was clearly aware that the older brother wanted to, wanted to, to make it and, and hated his disappointment. In fact, the younger brother had often clung to the fence and calling out to the to the older brother, you know, bust one, T-bone, bust one. Uh, so the younger brother had always admired him and loved him. They had a, a beautiful bonding, a beautiful fellowship. Classic from the standpoint of how brothers fight together, but also classic in terms of how brothers will bond together. Beautiful. Well, anyway, I remember saying to the little brother, I said, look, you know, if you really mean it, I hope you do. I love your passion of the moment. But if you really mean it, then tell him and do it. Do whatever you need to do to help your brother get back to that game and y'all get to finish what you didn't get to finish. And I was just making a comment and meant it from the standpoint of their, you know, development as brothers. And and the younger brother was like fire and ice. I mean, he was either at zero or at 100. The older brother was more steady, like a sort of a big rock in the middle of a river that the water flowed around. Um so anyway, the 2008 season started to roll around. But before that, these two brothers really did go to work. I mean, they parachute, stadium steps, hitting cages, inviting other players to join them and prepared to step into an 08 season with the idea of returning to that game that this school that had some legacy behind them uh, wanted to redeem the loss and also wanted to my younger brother, the younger brother wanted to redeem the younger brother's pain. So anyway, the 08 season rolls around. It's absolutely uh, full of hope, and it's a ragtag bunch, and nobody's expecting anything from these kids. <laughs> and uh, the beginning of the season started. Two brothers' hopes are being realized. The younger brother especially gets to play finally. After all those years of watching, being on other teams, he finally gets to be on the field with the kid he always admired and, and the dream of them being able to play together is be about to be realized. Second game of the season, younger brother starting, hits a ball between uh, uh, shortstop and third, barely makes the first base, tore a muscle off of his hip bone running. Actually, when he took the swing, it's called the, the uh, medius gluteus muscle. It's a tiny little muscle that, that if it's torn off of the, the pelvis, pelvis bone, you can't run. So I remember him sitting in the dugout. Uh, I kind of walked around because I knew he was in pain, and I meant emotional pain as well as physical. I walked around the dugout, kind of breaking the rules, and just kind of looked in, and he was sitting there, and uh, dust and tears rolling down his face, dust on his face and tears rolling through that dust. And he just looked at me and just said, why? Like, mouthed the words, why? I mean, why am I hurt? Why is this happening? I've worked so hard. I've, I've tried so much. And I wasn't doing this for me. I was doing this just for tennis, you know, his older brother. And um, 
Anyway, so we we leave that game. I don't have any answers. And we go to the truck and uh, I literally have to pick him up to put him in the seat. And it is heartbreak. So we drive home quietly, get him to the physician. Diagnosis occurs, get him to a trainer. And um, the season goes on. Moving more and more towards the district, the team is uh, good. Uh, my older son is walking a ton. Uh, other kids are getting hits. They've got uh, they've lost ten games, um, and the the district's coming up about two weeks from that district. Most of the season's over, and by by grace, uh, my my youngest son is healed enough through this beautiful trainer that spent time with him. I'll say his name's Jojo Petroni. He's down at Auburn now in the medical science. Love that man. He's so gracious. Used to put, used to be a trainer in the pros. He said he, he left the pros to go to college because pro players wouldn't listen. <laughs> and so JoJo was a, a mighty man. He loved uh, the kids in high school. His sons were in high school there. He just took William under his wing and, um, and worked with him. Anyway, William gets back on the field. He told William to go, look, don't go more than 80%. But uh, kid got back on the field and he knew one speed. It was 100% or nothing. And what was amazing was this average team uh, sort of like caught fire. They started getting hits back-to-back, kids that weren't necessarily doing all that great just caught fire. And it was an amazing turnaround, amazing, rather just an increase, exponential increase, not a turnaround. Um, Even the the two boys that had dreamed so many dreams uh, got to hit back-to-back home runs in one game. And uh, it it was just beautiful. And what happened next was amazing. They they made it to the district, weren't expected to do well. They won the district. They won the regional. And they literally made it back to that game that the team had lost before, uh, the following year, the year before, actually. And uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, we're in the ninth inning. The game is tied two to two. In high school baseball, there are seven innings. The guys, The game's tied two to two. And uh, my oldest son comes to the plate and uh, the, the count is two to two, um, two to two, nobody's on base. And, um, and by the way, uh, this team had kind of caught the attention of the local newspaper and caught the attention of uh, local, local people, uh, people who weren't connected to necessarily the, the kids or the fa- the families, but people that weren't even didn't even have families on the team. Excuse me, didn't even have kids on the team began to come. High school baseball is usually families, uh, grandparents, and a few friends and the kids that play. It's it's not a, a game of high high fan attendance. But anyway, people were began to be attracted to just the story of this ragtag bunch of kids had come together as. It's sort of brothers with a goal, with a mission and a vision to get somewhere to win in spite of what was was not expected for them. So anyway, there's the older kid uh, with his younger brother's dream standing there at the plate. And he hits a towering uh, what's called a silo in baseball where the ball just goes up and tends to come right back down, usually even <laughs> the infield. But it's so high. It's amazing. If it had been hit straight, it would have been a bomb that went to the next county. But I remember he hit the ball just uh, solo, just high up towards right field, backside. 
And I remember a, a truly a collective hush, just a, the ball goes up and the, it was quiet. And I remember the ball kept going up and up and the right fielder kept going back and back. And amazingly, this silo, this ball hit just as hard as it was far, went out of the park for a game-winning home run. The kid that the that uh, his younger brother had said, I'll do whatever it takes to get, get you back to that game so you can finish what you didn't get to finish. The kid he had dreamed for and the kid who had dreamed actually got to hit the home run. Amazing thing. Um, amazing, amazing that... Uh, he got to finish what he didn't get to finish, and a brother's love had helped take him there. Uh, it was like a movie. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. most beautiful thing that I've experienced in, in my lifetime, one of the most beautiful, was uh, a loss that occurred uh, three games later. Uh, and I wrote a book called The Perfect Loss. It's about the Beatitudes, and, and in it, I include this story, because um, loss is not the end. Loss is often an opportunity for uh, gratitude uh, and bravery and courage. Well, three games later, Uh, After all that beautiful fanfare and congratulations and happiness and joy, uh, they end up losing. Um, And there's this wonderful kid. Um, He uh, the bases were loaded. They were behind by one run and he struck out. And the beautiful story begins here. He struck out with the bases loaded, which would have taken them to the state finals. And there's a photograph that was in the newspaper the next day of a kid that was on first base and a kid that was in the dugout ran to the kid that struck out at home plate. And uh, instead of a repeat of the year before, where a kid walked out by himself to center field with his hands on his head, this kid in, in broken heart, uh, the, the photograph shows him taking his gloves off with his head down. And then the kid at first base had, has rubbed, it, rubbed the top of his head and was turning away in tears. And the one that had run from the dugout had his hand on his shoulders, comforting him, saying, we came here as a team and we leave as a team, win, lose, or draw. And so what happened was the whole team went out to left field as one unit. And I remember sitting out there knowing that it was all over and some dads, some two or three of us dads had been together since the, the, they were, they were, these boys were children and also through four years of high school. And I, I noticed that instead of uh, the families sort of leaving and going to their cars, not only were families still there, but, but people who had been following the team that weren't even connected necessarily to the players, but were connected to the story were standing around. And I, I, I looked at Sonia, who I'm married to, and um, she was looking down where I was sitting on a wall near the dugout. And I, I, I saw all the people and I motioned for her to just come down this way. And like, it's OK, come, come down. There's something that needs to happen here. 
And I remember all the fans that were still there walked out onto the field. They came around the the dugout and and walked out onto the field. Uh, and we just stood there uh, outside the dugout while the team was in left field. But before this happened, I happened to turn around and look up under the the awning of the dugout, um, the 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 eve rather of the dugout, and the kid that had struck out the year before and was walked out to center field by himself was standing in the dark underneath the eve. I saw him and I I walked out towards him and called his name and I said, "Listen, uh, you know what this is like. Um, go out there. They need you right now. You you get this. Go." And he looked at me. Um, and after I said, you know what this is like going out there. And uh, he looked at me and he said, I do. And he started crying and fell into my arms. And I just held him for a minute and said, you know, going out there, they need you. And and he left and went out to left field. So he was the only other civilian out there besides, you know, their coaches, the players and this kid who I believe that night got some healing. By the way, he's coaching baseball these days. Great young man. So we're all standing there and um, the players turn around and start walking towards us. And what was amazing was somebody in that group just started, just clapped once. And uh, then the other people around started clapping. We all started clapping for these kids (laughs) that had uh, dreamed a dream and um, uh, had great victory and then had heartbreaking loss, but they lost together. And I remember um, uh, the the celebration in the midst of the tears. The players walked over. A lot of parents hugged them, and and uh, I remember hugging both my sons that night, and um, especially the youngest one who even stepped on home plate, and uh, he fought and and ended up missing it and being called out, which would have been a a, a game winner possibly. And I remember I hugged him and I said, "Hey, listen, you know it's okay, y'all." You know, win as a team, you lose as a team. He said, Dad, I know that. The coach told me that, and so did my brother. So it was amazing, a healing moment. Um, and I remember um, players looking at each other. I remember two players that I'd watched play since they were little. They they stood and stared at each other for a minute, and then they hugged that, that one-armed bang on the back hug and then broke up, broke apart there, and they looked at each other, and they both bent over and started crying because the age of seven all the way to the age of 17 was over and all those years and all those plans and all those dreams. And I remember they looked up at each other (laughs) with their hands on their knees, stood up, raised up again (laughs) and just started crying again, bent back over and put their hands on their knees uh, in gratitude and loss. And I remember there was a man there. I remember I overheard him say, he said, thank God nobody died, uh, really mocking uh, beauty, mocking value, uh, mocking uh, tears of loss. Uh, because loss is personal. It's personal and it has to do with the depth of caring. And I, I get what he was talking about. What is? What are all these tears about? This is, you know, silly to value something this much. And I say it's a credit to love to value something so much that it's worth crying over. It's worth hugging over. It's worth applauding over. It's worth uh, a healing over. 
And I remember a coach told me later, one of the coaches told me later, he said he looked up, he was fine, just a, another season over, great season. And he said that he turned around and saw all the people standing in front of the dugout, waiting for those kids to come home, come back and to go home. And he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I saw, and he just, he just moved his hands. He said, I saw a town. He said, I just saw a, a, a community. He said, I lost it. He said he began to cry in just amazement that, that something so good could come from something so sad and difficult. Well, anyway, the beauty was, I remember as I left that night, there were three kids sitting in the dugout uh, uh, who had been together since they were seven years old and just sitting there waiting till the lights went out um, and just um, uh, grieving and appreciating and sitting in stunned silence in so many ways. I call that the perfect loss because it was a loss that didn't last. Now, I, didn't, I don't mean it's not full of memories and gratitude and hurt and uh, uh, you know, exuberance and story, um, but it was finished because it was uh, done as a group, it was shared as a group, it was spoken as a group, it was faced, it was felt, and it was healed by being dealt with, even to the point that my youngest son had helped his brother get to that place, had had a victory in it, and even in being a part of losing that game, he said, I know it's okay because the coach and my brother said exactly what I had said to him. We, you, count, you, 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 you win as a team and you lose as a team. Well, anyway, years later, I was at a Hall of Fame a banquet for a, a high school, and uh, all these players stood up and spoke after they received their award. And every single player, every single player from 25 years ago up until the most recent times, said, you know, I don't remember the wins and losses so much. What I remember is who I got to play with and what we got to do. In other words, they were referring to relationship. So the perfect loss is that loss is going to happen to all of us, and all of us are going to experience loss. It's the most common experience of life. But what makes it perfect, what I mean by perfect is whole or complete or finished, is that we face it, we feel it, therefore deal with it and heal from it. And when I hear those players talk about that season, um, different ways and, and, and different different ways, they all remember it and they all remember it fondly. I know that my youngest said, son says that he's often gone and cut our grass out on our, we call it a baseball field. It's really a floodplain where we used to hit and where there's a, a, a backstop. He says sometimes he, he cuts the grass and he remembers growing up there and, and getting to hit balls and, and playing with his older brother out on the field, me pitching to him. He cuts the grass. He remembers that season. He says he starts to cry. He starts to cry in the memory of a loss. And he also that loss is also the memory of a great gratitude of getting to participate, getting to be a part of it where, where dreams do come true and even the greatest dreams also get dashed. It's both. So as, as I conclude uh, this podcast, what I'm talking about is that your children 
are missing some of these great stories and uh, they're not getting to participate in some experiences that would have happened had it not been for COVID, had it not been for the enemy, this sickness that's uh, sort of overwhelmed our land, our economy, our daily lives. So um, I want to support you uh, as parents and people. No, nobody died if nobody died in your family. But guys, there were a lot of dreams that a lot of the kids were anticipating for the spring of 2020, the summer of 2020, from graduations to uh, post-graduation trips to getting to say goodbye, hello, hello, goodbye, um, receive awards or not get awards, whether it's love's lost or love's gained, they're not getting to do it. So please be patient with their pain, whether it's realized or not, whether it's shown directly, spoken symptomatically or not. Be patient in the process with their pain. Please don't tell them at least they're alive, which I, I, I believe to be grateful for. But uh, they've lost uh, a chunk of their lives. Next, the perfect loss is what are they gaining? I've seen um, talk to several mothers that, that they've talked about how wonderful the time has been because they haven't been sick in gratitude, but getting to be with each other. I think that this is also time that our loss can be our gain because a lot of the distractions that tore families apart are not available to us to take us away from each other. We are forced to either face how much relationship we don't have, which is a loss, or to be grateful about the relationships we're getting developed, which is a gain. And at the same time, while we're all growing together, there will be many goodbyes uh, come the fall when the kids go off to college or um, they re-enter school again. But maybe this time can be a time we can remember that we can find in the losses a lot of great gratitudes, a lot of things that we can promise to not forget that we have gained during this time while we also are facing the losses. That 2018 uh, lost and gained through it. The 2017 lost, and I do not believe gained much from it. So let this be a time when uh, you have your 2008 experience gained from uh, the losses. And we do it by facing what could have been, facing what we wish could have been, facing what was, facing what is, facing what wasn't, feeling related to it, uh, and then uh, dealing with it by, uh, uh, by identifying what we're feeling, sharing wisely with who we need to talk to about it, and letting the connection process take us to where it needs to go. Remember, that I wrote a book called The Voice of the Heart that is about using our feelings to take us to places of healing that expand us into to, uh, who we're made to be and what we're made to do by uh, facing how we're made. So as I close, um, I pray that each of us will continue to find um, uh, gains in the losses and gratitudes through remembering um, what we have, uh, each other. And, and mark it down, if you would, on, a, on a, a whiteboard or a chalkboard or write it down in a journal or carve it into a tree, that this is the time we will remember and we will reflect back on it 
as a time of, yes, great loss, but also let it be a remembrance of great gains. And so when, when we get to become uh, complacent in the commonplace, that we and, and begin to be self-pitying and complaining again, even whining with our first world issues that we will um, remember what it was like, what happened and where we are today and find gratitude in that. So anyway, I'll sign off here. I look forward to speaking with you again. And this uh, podcast is uh, gaining through loss. Anyway, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.